0: We are, are now nearing the finish line of our summer series through uh, this remarkable little uh, letter. And Paul is going to give us a, um, a really practical uh, text today. And uh, so if you're, if you're here this morning and you're a list person, um, so show of hands, if you're a list person, you like to make lists and like scratch stuff off, just go ahead and raise your hand. All right, if you're married to a list person, raise your hand. Okay, now we know who all the freaks are. And i <laughs> got a lot of list people here, and uh, you just get satisfaction from writing stuff down and crossing it off. If, if that's you, you're going to love today, right? Because Paul's going to give us a checklist of five ways that we can run our spiritual race well. He's going to give us five keys, or what I'm going to call hacks, five hacks to spiritual health in the Christian life. And so you list people are going to love today, the rest of you are going to learn to love it, all right? I'm going to make you like it. Um, now, you may remember if you're here last week, Paul challenged believers to run their race well, right? He encouraged us to, to press, to strain, to, to strive across the finish line of, of knowing Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. And today he's going to give us those, those five hacks to running this race well. Now I don't know if you've noticed this, perhaps you've experienced, but some, sometimes uh, people will inspire us to something. Um, many of you have probably had that experience. It could be, man, you talk to somebody and they inspire you to whatever it is. You fill in the blank, uh, get in shape, eat better, manage your money better, whatever it is, and you get all fired up about it, right? And so you're excited, you're like, yes, I'm gonna do this, yes, I can do this, and you're fired up and you wake up the next morning, you're like, wait, wait, what do I do? Where do I start? I don't even, I'm excited about this, but I don't even know the first step, much less step two or step three. And so last week, Paul sort of got us fired up And this week, he's going to give us the how. He's going to tell us how to run that race well. He's going to tell us how to be spiritually healthy. He's going to give us the practical behind how we can become citizens of heaven and run our race well. And so if you want to live a better life, if you want to be spiritually healthy, he's going to give us five ways. So let's get to it. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Now, right off the bat, I want you to notice Paul's affection for his brothers and sisters in his home church of Philippi. Paul says, listen, guys, I I love you. I long for you, I, I, I miss you. You, you guys, are my, you're my joy and you're my crown. And I think there's something here for us to learn about the way that we ought to love each other in the church, right? There should just be kind of like this deep-seated love and care for one another. Because the reality is as, as long as church is just like an event for you, that you attend for an hour on Sunday morning, you're, you're never going to experience what Paul is describing right here in chapter four. We have to begin to think of church as a family, right? Not, not a building on a campus, not a event that we attend for an hour on Sunday morning. We have to actually begin to not just think of one another as a family, but operate and live as if we were a family. Like, you get, you're my brothers. You're, you're, my, you're my sisters. We're, we're in this race together. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna spend eternity together. And so let's, let's learn to love one another well on this side of eternity so it's not so strange when we, when we get there, right? Paul then gives uh, the first way to run this spiritual race. Well, he says to these believers in the church in Philippi, he says, he says stand firm, I want you to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. That word literally means to persist and persevere in standing. I like the way that Paul kind of frames this in another letter. This is from Ephesians 6. This will be on the screen for you. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, same word, stand firm against the schemes of the devil in uh, 480 bc uh, the the persian empire was massive and and growing they had the largest most uh, terrifying army on the planet and they were just sort of spreading across the globe conquering nation after nation Uh, entire nations were so fearful that they would just kind of lay down arms and give up when they would see the persians coming and in 480 BC, there was a famous battle called the Battle of Thermopylae. Some of you guys have heard of it. There's been a bunch of movies uh, made about it. Um, but true story. So the, the Spartan king, he was, Spartan was a part, uh, Sparta was a part of Greece. His name was King Leonidas, right? And so you guys have probably seen different movies. There was one just a few years ago that, that came out. And King Leonidas had uh, 300 Spartan soldiers that he took to a coastal pass. This was the only way uh, they thought for the Persians to get into Greece and overtake Greece. And so all the Greek army left, it was just King Leonidas and his 300 Spartan warriors left, standing between complete annihilation of everybody that they knew and loved and this massive Persian empire, right? And so there's this one scene in the movie about this particular battle, and uh, man, you see the Persian army coming in, man. They're just coming in, and it's massive, I mean, it's soldiers as far as the eye can see, and there's a scene where King Leonidas looks at the oncoming army, just massive, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and he looks back at his 300 measly guys guarding that coastal pass, and he starts screaming at them, and it's just this really inspiring speech, right? And he's screaming, he's saying, this is where we hold them, this is where we fight, This is where we stand, this is where they die, right? And they're like, yeah! And I'm ready to run through the screen and die with them, you know? And um, he's like, earn your shields today, boys! And it's this incredible, inspirational scene where they're saying, this is where we're gonna take our stand. We are not moving from here. We are standing firm on this ground until we breathe our last breath. And I think that's a good picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, Christian, stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm in Jesus. Don't waver when life gets tough. Don't retreat when tragedy visits your doorstep. Don't be surprised when you suffer in this life. Stand firm in the Lord. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not, but there are a lot of things in this life that can throw us off course. Sickness, financial stress, relational friction, suffering of all manner and kind. And if you are not standing firm in the Lord, you will crumble in time in this life. And so the first key to running this race after Jesus, well, the first hack to spiritual health that Paul gives us is this. Number one, believer, stand Firm in Jesus, boldly, ferociously. Anchor your life in the person, the God of Jesus Christ. Cheryl and I will celebrate um, our 16th wedding anniversary this December. Now, we got married at 14, so we're still super young. And um, I I know most of you really think that Cheryl hit the marriage jackpot when she married me. And you wouldn't be totally wrong, but believe it or not, it hasn't, it hasn't always been easy for us, probably especially for her. There have been times where honestly, it would have been really easy to walk away if we hadn't made the decision to stand firm in the Lord in our marriage. There have been times, if I'm being completely honest, there, that would have been really easy For me to walk away from ministry entirely. There have been times when it seems like life would be a whole lot easier if it weren't for this whole following Jesus thing. But life is hard, right? Challenges will come for us all. And what Paul is saying is the one thing that will carry you through is standing firm in Jesus, And so you make that commitment now and you make that commitment every single morning when you wake up and you just say, Jesus, I choose you today. I choose you. Help me stand firm in my faith. Help me walk in your ways. Jesus, give me your eyes. Give me your words today. Like, God, I, I can't do this without you. I can't do this dad thing well without you. I can't do this husband thing well without you. I certainly can't do this pastor thing well without I can't do any of this well without you. And so, Jesus, help me, help me stand firm in you. I, I need you. And I think this is, a, this is a healthy prayer for all of us. And that, that's what Paul is saying to these believers. Stand firm in Jesus. Now, remember, if you've been here for the last eight or nine weeks, uh, Paul, in this letter, has been drilling down on the subject of unity, particularly unity within the body. Um, he, He kinda hits on it in chapter one, he really drills down into it in chapter two, and now we find out why, so let's go to verse two. Paul says, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So apparently we have these two dear sisters whom Paul knows and loves that were not getting along. Just weren't getting along. Can't imagine that in a church, right? Now we don't know the source of their disagreement. Paul doesn't tell us, so it probably doesn't matter. Who knows what it was? Maybe one of them wanted, uh, you know, like Starbucks coffee in the lobby in church on Sunday morning and the other wanted Dunkin' Donuts, right? We've solved that problem here, we have both, right? Because we value unity here at New Life. Unity is very important to us. Now for me, like all good uh, Christians, I drink the Dunkin'. um, But I realize some of you degenerates like burnt coffee and so you roll with the Starbucks. And uh, we will continue to pray for your soul. The dispute doesn't seem to be something important. It was something goofy like that, right? It's, it's not a doctrinal issue. It's not, like, it's not like one of these ladies is denying the divinity of Jesus or the literal resurrection, right? Paul always, if you read Paul, he always lays the smack down on bad doctrine and he doesn't do that here. So that tells us that this dispute in the grand scheme of things is probably something really trivial, really goofy. And then, and then Paul calls them out by name. Could you imagine just just put yourself in their place right these two ladies and they're feuding over something goofy they get they get to church one day and they're they're sitting there and the pastor gets up and he goes man hey today is a really special day because we have a letter from the apostle paul epaphroditus has has made his way back he has a letter from the apostle paul And so they're all just sitting there, hanging on every word as this pastor reads from the great apostle Paul. And, um, you know, they're sitting there in the first chapter, you know, their hearts are warmed, you know, by his loving greeting. Like, oh man, Paul's so sweet. And they get to the second chapter, you know, and they're feeling encouraged to be lights in this dark world. And you kind of roll into chapter three and they're feeling very inspired to run this race towards Jesus, to press into him. And They're thinking, oh, this is lovely. Oh, I love Paul. And then chapter four, boom, right? Chapter four, calls him out by name and you can hear a, hear a pin drop in the service, right? Now just imagine if I did that one Sunday, Right? I just trot up here and I go, hey, listen, I got something to say. Before we get going in the message, I just wanna say, hey, Sue Smith and Meg Jones, knock it off. I see you back there, Sue. I see you right over there, Meg. Your disunity is harming the body of Christ and it is bringing shame to the name of Jesus. Stop it. Right, could you imagine? Some of you would have a panic attack right in your seat. Like, is he he about to call my name? Half of you would never come back for fear that I'm just gonna make that a regular part of our service. Now, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, ladies, I want you to agree in the Lord. Paul's like, you both love Jesus, right? They're like, yeah, we both love Jesus. It's like, okay, knock it off. (laughs) Drink the Starbucks coffee, get over it. Love love one another, get together, and work it out. And if that's not enough, Paul says, get some help. Get a third party involved. Get a third party into the mix. And Paul invites someone else into this conflict. He calls this person his true companion. This is likely, scholars believe, a pastor or an elder in the church. And Paul says, hey, help these ladies work it out because All of your names are written in the book of life. So believer, I want you to hear this, especially if you're here and you're part of our faith family here at New Life. I want you to hear this. You are part of us. And that concept is hard for us in like a Western individualistic culture. But you need to understand, you are part of us. We have a vested interest in your health and your unity within the body called New Life Church. Because if you're all jacked up and ticked off and not unified, it affects the whole. This unity in the body is not a personal issue. It is a body-wide issue because it affects all of us. That's why Paul addresses this publicly. This is a letter meant to be read publicly in the gathering, just like we are right now. He didn't send a little private letter off to the side just to these two ladies. He addresses this publicly because conflict and disunity in the church affects the whole body. It's not a personal issue, it is a body issue. This is a massive deal. I woke up about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, and I got out of the bed, and I could barely move my left knee. Like That's how you know you're getting old when you get injured in your sleep, right? I didn't, like, I didn't... (laughs) I wasn't playing basketball the day before. I wasn't like doing some UFC stuff in the cage with some friends. Like I, I went to sleep, <laughs> I felt fine. I woke up and I could limping around like a 90 year old man, right? I limped around for about a week and a half and I tried to work out my conflict with my knee and I did everything I knew to do, man. I iced it, I gave it rest, I tried to plow through the pain and, um, and nothing worked. So I went to a, a physical therapist, right? I, I invited a third party into my conflict with my knee, right? And he put some structural tape on my knee. He dry needled all the muscles around my knee, which is just as pleasant as you would imagine it would be. Gave me some stretches and exercises and I can walk again now, right? But I needed somebody to intervene and help me solve this issue, this conflict with my knee. And the same thing holds true in our relationships, especially as it pertains to relationships within the body of Christ. Paul says, work it out. Work it out. And I'm sending in a third party because unity is so critical to the health of the bride of Christ. This must be sorted out now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when your emotions kind of simmer down a little bit and you feel better about talking to it. Get it fixed now, he says, don't let this fester like an infection because it will spread and it can eventually kill you. So he goes, ladies, agree in the Lord. And I, I love how he reminds them that their names are written in the book of life, right? And we know from what he says in this letter that these are not non-Christian ladies. These are not even immature believers. These ladies are mature believers. They are likely leaders in this otherwise very healthy and vibrant church in Philippi. And Paul is saying to these ladies, hey look, newsflash, you guys are gonna spend eternity together. You know that, right? Forever is like a really long time. So ladies, knock it off. Agree in the Lord. So here's the second hack that Paul would give us as spiritual health this morning. Number two, believers, guard relational unity and do it relentlessly do whatever it takes to be unified. Now this, by the way, doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. I don't even agree with myself like 60% of the time. So we're not gonna always agree on everything. And we intentionally have a very wide umbrella here at New Life, there's a lot of space here for a lot of different people. We have people here from almost every spiritual background you could imagine. Now know this, we will fight for the essentials of the faith here, right? So things like the virgin birth, the divinity of Jesus, the literal resurrection, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, the Bible as God's revealed word to us, we will die on those hills. But, but almost everything else is secondary in nature. Not unimportant but secondary in nature. And we will not break our unity over those things. We're just not gonna do it. Unity is vital to the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus. And so let me just ask you this straight up this morning. Is there anyone in your life that you need to reconcile with today, particularly in this church body, if you're a part of this church body? Is there somebody that you avoid in the lobby when you see him coming? Is there somebody that you try not to make eye contact with in the bathroom? Because listen, if if there is, I want you to hear me say this clearly and, and lovingly, but you need to hear this. If that's you, I want you to understand, you are living in rebellion towards God and you are hurting all of us. You're hurting all of us. And what you're doing is not just toxic, it is dangerous to the mission of Jesus Christ. That's how serious it is. And Paul is saying, you get that fixed now, friend. And if you need to invite somebody in to help, let us know. We will get you a pastor, we will get you an elder, we will get you a small group leader, we will get you whoever you want to help mediate the situation, but we must fight for unity. We will fight for unity at New Life. We must. The mission of Jesus is at stake. Verse four, Paul says this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. So in this one little four chapter letter, he uses this term or some variation of the word joy, get this, 16 different times, 16, this is his central theme. I think you could argue that that joy and the Christian life are inextricably like woven together. You really can't separate the two. And this time he uses that term joy and he connects it with this term always, rejoice always. Now, if you're anything like me, we tend to just read over passages like this, don't we? Like rejoice always, that's cute. He He doesn't really mean that doesn't really mean rejoice always, right? He doesn't mean rejoice when I get sick. He doesn't mean like rejoice when I lose my job. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't really mean rejoice when I lose someone I love, but, but there it is. Very plain. Paul says rejoice always. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, here, here, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean, because I think some Christians get it wrong and. We end up being super weird, right? It doesn't mean that we walk around with like a goofy, fake grin on our face all the time. Right? Somebody we love dies, and we just got this goofy grin on our face. Or we lose our job, we got this goofy grin. It's not what Paul is saying. It just means that we have this, we have this deep seated trust in God. That regardless of the circumstances, we know how the story ends. We have this thing that nobody can take from us, this relationship with Jesus that is deeper and sweeter than anything this world could ever rip away from us. And so because of that, we can rejoice always. And Paul hits this 16 separate times in a short letter for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because I think that this is really important. Being joyful as a follower of Jesus is like central it is really, really important. So if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, and your life is not characterized by joy, I would just say to you this morning, I think you need a heart check. Because something is off in your heart, or your life, or your spirit, right? Because joy, my dad talked about this a couple weeks ago in chapter three. Joy should be the default position for Christians. And so Paul hits this so many times because it is so important. And then secondly, I think he hits it so many times in a short letter because we are dense, aren't we? Like we, maybe maybe it's just me. I need need reminding of the important things in life constantly. Like not once a year, not even once a month, not even, like every single day, I need to be reminded of what's most important in life. A few times a week, I listen to when I'm, in the office working or coffee shop or something, I don't listen to exclusively uh, Christian worship music, but several times a week I, I will intentionally uh, in order to kind of reset my mind, reset my heart, I'll listen to, to worship music as I'm, I'm working. And here, here's the interesting thing that, I, that I've noticed. The, the songs that grab me, right, the songs that really uh, stir my heart's affections for Jesus, the songs that, that move me to emotion are the songs that speak the gospel of Jesus over me. They're the songs that remind me of who he is. They're the songs that remind me of what he's done on my behalf. They're the songs that remind me of who I was without him. We need reminding again and again of the most important things. And so hack number three that I think Paul would give us to spiritual health, number three, believer, fight for joy, always. Not just when it's easy, always. So not just when you wake up and you walk outside, there's a blue sky and sun rays beating down on your face and birds singing, yeah, rejoice and have joy on that day, but also in the storms of life. Have joy, choose joy, always. And here's the problem for most of us. Most of us have bought this lie in our culture that happiness comes only when we are living a problem-free life. How's that going for you? So we, we just buy this lie that our culture sells us, that we can only truly be happy, we can only truly rejoice when we have no problems in our life. So I'll be happy, I'll have joy when I have the perfect spouse that lives to meet all of my needs. Married people, how's that going? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'll be happy, I'll have joy when I have the perfect job that pays me a lot of money to work whenever I want and however I want. I'm still looking for that one. We'll right, I, I, I be happy when we have the perfect kids who always obey. I'll be happy when I have no health issues at all, when I have a nice big house and a really big fat 401k, then I'll be happy and then I'll rejoice. How's that going for you, friend? Listen, there is no problem-free life in this world. So stop chasing something that doesn't exist. What Paul is saying is joy is not found in your circumstances. It's found in knowing your God and living your purpose. And only Jesus can give you that. He's the only one. Verse five, Paul says, let your reasonableness, your translation may say gentleness there, or perhaps graciousness. Actually, you think those are better translations, so we'll go with that. Let your gentleness, graciousness, Be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. See, when we choose joy, that leads us to live in a gentle and gracious way with others. And Paul says we can live this way. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Jesus is near to us. Believer, we we don't have a distant God who is removed from us, who is far off from us. We have a God who is near to us. We have a God who delights in giving us joy even in the tough seasons of life. So rejoice, Paul says. Not sometimes, rejoice all the time. Be gracious to everyone. And Paul reminds us you can do that because Jesus is near. Press into him. He will give you joy. He will make you a gracious and gentle person. And so let me just ask you this morning, would the people who are closest to you in your life, would they describe you in that way? yeah he's a gentle person she's a gentle gracious person is that the way that the people closest to you would describe you because i'm just i'm i'm telling you that if you're one way around people if you're one way in church but then you're another way at home or another way in your workplace and you turn into like a controlling manipulative tyrant or bully at home or at work and you claim jesus as your savior i just tell you lovingly this morning you need to repent our lives should be marked by a joyful graciousness and gentleness toward one another and paul says why because jesus is near that's why and he expects this in us and he empowers this in us. Verse six, one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens when you do that? Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now this one is a big one in our culture, isn't it? We live in an angst-filled society. People are just anxious. People are on edge. Most of us can identify with what Paul is talking about. We, we know well the crushing weight of anxiety in our lives. Right, we have work anxiety. We have relational anxiety. We have financial anxiety. We have health anxiety. We have anxiety over our kids. We have morning traffic on I-26 anxiety. And it can be really crushing. And Paul goes, yes, it is crushing So if you want to take this anxiety backpack off your back that feels like it weighs a 1,000 pounds, here's how you do it. Are you ready? Here's how you do it. You get alone with God. And you pray. And you supplicate. That means plead. And you plead with your Father who loves you. So Paul goes, what? Christian, what are you anxious about? Don't you know who your God is? Get alone with him and give your burdens back to him. I think this is the way Paul might say it if if he were here. I'm gonna put this on the, the screens for you. I think this is the way he might phrase it. I think this is good for us. Listen, believer, pray about everything and worry about nothing. Pray about everything worry about nothing allow that to become a life motto for you let's cultivate a prayerful life and listen you don't have to become like a weirdo monk that moves out into the mountains and meditates 17 hours a day or something weird like that just you use the quiet moments and rhythms that are already built into your day those quiet moments when you're driving to work or wherever you drive every day. Those quiet moments in the shower, when you lay in bed at night, you got what, 15, 30 minutes before you fall asleep, unless you're an insomniac and then you have a long time to pray, right? But use those built-in quiet moments that the Lord has already placed into our lives to connect with God. And then guess what happens when we do this? This is This is amazing. Paul says, God begins to replace your anxiety and he he takes that away and he replaces it with his peace. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? Like, I like that trade. You take my anxiety and you give me peace? Like, I'll take that deal all day long. All day, every day. Give me that deal. But we, listen, we have to discipline this practice into our lives. This doesn't just like happen by accident. We, just, we don't just stumble into a powerful prayer life. This is something that we discipline into our life. It's a spiritual discipline. And I just confess to you, I'm being transparent. I confess to you that I really struggle with this. I just do. And like a lot of you guys, I'm a doer. And so I wake up and I have a mental checklist of 500 things that need to get done that day, right? Between meetings and sermon prep and crisis stuff and sickness and conflict and a lot of times my days can start to feel like there's not enough of me to really go around. And it can begin to feel really quickly like how on earth could I even spend a minute or two in prayer in the chaos of today? when prayer is precisely what I need most in that moment. So now you know how you can pray for me, right? Pray for, my, pray for my prayer life, we all need this. So hack number four, Paul would say this, kill believer, kill anxiety and kill it with prayer. Burn your anxiety with fire, with the fire of prayer. I want you to hear, listen, God is bigger than your biggest problem. I don't know what your problem is this morning. Most of us probably come here with at least 100 different problems. I don't know what yours is, but I do know this. God is bigger than your biggest problem. And So kill your anxiety with prayer. Take your burdens, take your stresses to him and allow him to replace those things in your heart, in your mind with his peace. It's a promise from God. Verse 8. Paul begins to wrap up this section of his letter. He says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, this is important, think about these things. Verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul says, finally, think on praiseworthy things. Now this is a particular challenge in our day and age, I think with kind of the around the clock, 24 hours a day news cycle, right? Because our phones are constantly buzzing and beeping and blowing up with new tragedy after new tragedy, with new political feud after political feud, with new fight after new fight. Is it any wonder that we are such an anxious people? Sometimes I think the very best thing we could do is just like delete the CNN or Fox News or whatever poison you listen to. Delete those apps from your phone or your TV. And just get rid of the junk. It is exhausting. And I'm not saying as Christians, like we should just live in little happy rainbow unicorn bubbles. But I am saying, and I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that what we allow into our minds affects our hearts. What we allow into our minds trickles down into our hearts. And that's really important. And that's a really big deal. And by the way, that's true with the music that we listen to, it's true with the shows that we binge watch on Netflix, the movies that we allow into our minds the constant drip of these crazy, stupid news cycles that we allow into our brain all the time that make us insane. And Paul is saying, be careful what you fill your minds with, believer. Don't fill your mind with anything that drives fear. Don't fill your minds with anything that drives angst or anger in your heart. Instead, fill your mind with true things, With the promises of God. Fill your minds with just things, lovely things, pure things, praiseworthy things. Fill your mind with good news, with the greatest news, with the gospel, with the promises of God. And listen, we can practice this anytime. We can practice this while we're walking the dog in our neighborhood, while we're driving the car, while we're eating a meal. Right? We start having a, a thought creep in that drives fear or anxiety or impurity or a false thing or unlovely things. Right? Our minds begin to drift that direction and boom, we just, we replace those thoughts with what Paul is talking about here. Things that are true, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are worthy of praise, right? We discipline our minds to think on these things. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10. He says this to the believers in Corinth. He says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so an anxious thought enters and we take it captive and we replace it with the gospel. We replace those thoughts with the promises of God. We replace toxic thoughts with thoughts that lift up, that point and stir our affections to God and his good gifts, We replace thoughts of fear with thoughts of God's faithfulness. I came across this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis talking about this and I thought I would share it with you. This will be on the screen so you can follow along. This This is what Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, we are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. Lewis is saying exactly what Paul has just said. If you want to sow into your mind good, you must sow these good thoughts in order to reap good. Sow good into your mind in order to reap good thoughts and good behaviors in your life. This is not rocket science, and yet so many of us fail to practice this discipline in our lives. And so hack number five, the last one that Paul would give us to spiritual health. Number five, believer, train your brain to dwell on good. In other words, train your mind to punt the negative and to embrace truth, to embrace your identity in Christ, believer. Train your brain to to believe his promises about your future, Train your brain to to believe in his love, to believe that his love for you is real, to believe that he actually does work all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. As believers, we say we believe these things, but functionally, do we really believe them? Like, do you actually dwell on these things? Are these the thoughts that you allow to dominate your mind and your heart? And here's the really cool thing. When we begin to practice these kind of five hacks to spiritual health that Paul just gave us, this five-point checklist, here's what we get. Look at the end of verse nine. When we do that, Paul says this, end of verse nine, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you, but I want God and I need his peace desperately. And Paul is telling us exactly how how to find this peace and this joy and this spiritual health. We have much to be thankful for, Christian. Let's live this. Don't just sing it, bring it, right? Let's let's live what we preach. This is the joy-filled life that we all desire. And listen to me, it is right here for the taking. It is right here for the taking. As we follow hard after Jesus and we apply these principles to our lives. Let's pray. Father, would you teach us, would you teach us to stand firm in Jesus? God, we, we need this probably more than we're even aware of. Teach us to make our stand on the truth and the person of Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. Father, would you help us also to fight for unity with one another? Teach us to, To kill anxiety, the anxiety that envelops our hearts and enslaves our mind. Teach us to to crush that by getting alone with you, God, and just giving our burdens to you, God. We were never designed to carry the weight of all of these fears and anger and angst and anxiety, God your shoulders are broad and you are strong and you can carry these things and you offer to take those things from us and instead give us your peace god so help us to take you up on your promise god help us to train our minds to discipline our minds to think on good things Think on godly things, uplifting things. God, just remind us of who we are in you as your sons and your daughters. God, remind us that our names are written in the book of life. And help us to live our lives with that in mind in light of that truth that we belong to you, that our future is secure in you and that we can give everything to you because you're a good God and you're a strong God and you love us. Father, for the person here whose, whose name is not written in that book, for the person here whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that person who is not placed their whole trust and their whole faith and their whole life in Jesus alone as their Savior. God, would you help them just right now, today, even in this moment, to see the hopelessness of their state apart from you, to see how hopeless their life is apart from Jesus. And Father, more than that, we pray that that you would help them to see what their life could be like with you, God, help them to see how good you are. Help them to see how beautiful you are. God, help them to see that their life could be this beautiful life, this beautiful adventure of knowing the God of this universe personally and living a life of joy and peace and unity of giving their anxiety to God and getting his peace in exchange. God, let that day be today for somebody. Father, let today be the day that their name is etched into the book of life. God, and we ask all of these things in the beautiful name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.